In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Samuel chapter 18. David as King, pardon me, David and King Saul's son, Jonathan, they become close friends. Following David's defeat of Goliath and recognizing his talent, Saul puts him in charge of the fighting men. And David becomes renowned for not only his military exploits, but for the fact that he was with him and the people love him. As a result, King Saul becomes increasingly jealous of and hostile toward David, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Good morning and blessed Ascension Tide. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. LHF is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. You can visit them online at lhfmissions.org to learn more about their translating and publishing work. But for this morning, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us explore and, and divide and discern 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's the Reverend Ryan Climola, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Toledo, Ohio. Pastor Climora, g- g- Climola, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Phil. It's good to be with you. Good to hear your voice again and uh, good to be back with everybody listening. Yeah, you too, brother. Boy, if I can if I can get my uh, tongue untied this morning, it's 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 not very early, so I shouldn't be this tired. I'll have to have some coffee maybe uh, as we have our discussion, see if I can get a, a little bit more awake. But uh, our our section today is certainly going to be interesting. Um, we're talking about David and Jonathan, and we're talking about well that famous time when the women are singing about David, and it just enrages King Saul. He's so jealous. Lots of things that are not only fascinating from a historical point of view, but really, I think, connect to our lives today, too. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, some some connections and allusions to the life of Christ as well, which is, is always neat to see, especially in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Anytime you're talking about David, you're going to get Christ in there. He certainly was the type of Christ. I tell you what, before we dive into our text for this morning, though, it might be good for us to start off our time together in prayer, and I'd like to invite you to lead us in that prayer. Absolutely. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray, Lord, that as we spend time in 1 Samuel 18 today, you would help us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to see uh, where it applies to our lives, where it, where it connects us to you and, and all the good things that you've done for us. We we thank you for the, the example of, of David, uh, both good and bad, to show us how you are, are with, with us through it all. Lord, we pray that you would give us success as you gave to David in the various places you've called us to, to serve. Um, and, and Lord, be with us now as, as we open your word. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into our text, which, as I said earlier, begins with chapter 18, how about catch us up? What's happened just before this? Um, Obviously, this is the story of David and Goliath, which I think everybody knows, even if they're uh, not Christians or not Jews or not uh, readers of the Bible. It's such a familiar story to everybody. Maybe just real briefly catch us up to that before we read our text today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, This really... um... We start to learn more about, I think this is a kind of a trans, transitional chapter for First Samuel because you start to see um, 
uh, how Saul's exit, it kind of foreshadows fall, Saul's exit from from the kingship and um, pr- pr- kind of introduces the, the tension between Saul and David, which uh, takes up most of the rest of the, the book of 1 Samuel. But yeah, to get here, uh, um, Samuel had uh, anointed at God's direction uh, uh, the unlikely uh, youngest and, and shortest and, uh, you know, all those diminutive titles or um, things, uh, David, and, and anointed him to be king. And so that was kind of hanging out in the background and kind of get the impression, uh, at least it seems pretty clear that, that Saul wasn't aware of this, but he starts to get an inkling of this transition that David would be the one to take him. So, yeah, Saul uh, Saul had this young man, David, as a musician in his temple, you know, when he was first afflicted by an evil spirit. Uh, David's music brought him relief. And then, of course, the, the famous scene of, of David and Goliath as David, the unexpected one, um, defeats the, the enemy of, of the Israelites. And, and, and yeah, this really flows from that story. I mean, it really picks up right at the end where it says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, so the, the conversation at the end of chapter 17 really gets us into the beginning of 18 here. Exactly. So he has just defeated the Philistine. He has the head of Goliath in his hand, right. and yeah. Saul says to him, whose son are you? Which is interesting because, I mean, doesn't Saul know him already? But And we talked about that yesterday. But then, then David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And now we have our text for this morning, starting with chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Well, pausing right there at the end of verse 5, it it sounds like things are getting off to a great start, um, especially with this relationship between Jonathan and David. Yeah, yeah, definitely it does. It's... um... This relationship, I, I think this is the first, is this the first time we hear about David and Jonathan together? It's not the first we've heard of Jonathan, um, but maybe the first, one of the first, at least I'll say confidently, one of the first scenes where we're there together. And um, it, it seems like it, you, you would like to know, it seems like more was said than from David, where he says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite, where uh, so for some reason, Jonathan's um, now he's he's now devoted to David, and and it's just a beautiful thing of 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 relationship here. It's um uh, what what I th- I think it's a beautiful picture of what a godly friendship looks like, and um, yeah, it, it just kind of uh, gives us this kind of uh, there's there's this glow about them um, and how they they look out for each other even after Jonathan's death. David looks out for. Jonathan's descendants and, um, and Jonathan, of course, in the the next chapters is you know making sure that David isn't killed by his his father Saul and so um, it's a, it's a beginning of a, a relationship here. 
You know, and and I want to talk a little bit, though, about how this text has been misused in recent mm-hmm. times. And I don't want to dwell on it at all, but as you said, this is a beautiful picture of a close brotherly bond, a relationship. The word love here is from the Hebrew ahav, which is just the generic word for love. Um, not that the love itself is generic, but, you know, it, it doesn't indicate anything more than what pretty much the text tells us. However, as many things in the scriptures have been misused um, in these last days, people have uh, taken this and usurped it and tried to promote a homosexual perspective on it. Um, could you talk about right. that a little bit and why we shouldn't think of it that way? Yeah, I, I thought about talking to you beforehand to see if we should put a PG-13 disclaimer on this because this and then something <laughs> later else kind of lends itself to, you know, it's hard to talk about maybe in the presence of children without introducing at least further conversations. But um, but yeah, the, the um, Andrew Steinman's commentary did a good job of kind of laying out, there's three points he makes about why what you pointed out as a false interpretation of this relationship can be um, discounted. And, and one of the first is that the use of that word ahav um, occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament and never once um, is connected to a homosexual relationship or activity or, or attraction of any sort. So, so I think that's a, a good thing. It's also the same word that's used in uh, Genesis 44, talking about Jacob's love for his son J- Benjamin. Um, so, so I mean, there's there's that um, vocabulary usage. So it's it's never used in that context. Um, is is the first point he makes. Uh, the next point he makes is that um, that this is a um, a relation. It's it's a co- covenantal relationship, and and it's you, you see it's something that actually plays out with their protection for each other. It never goes to um, any relational relational things, you know, beyond uh, friendship or, or looking out for one another, having each other's back. And, um, and then finally, um, there, there's no, there is no um, dirty words or, you know, there's no in- indication that between anywhere, even outside of this, this chapter that, that David and Jonathan's, relationship was anything beyond a, a, a strong friendship. Right. And and of course, and it, I guess it goes without saying, but also the Bible clearly elsewhere condemns homosexual relationships. So, there's you know, there's also, too. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, interpreting scripture from scripture, you know, I just want to bring it up because I don't think our audience struggles with that, but they, they might hear those types of things. I know uh, many years ago, maybe over a decade ago, there was a, a TV series, I think it ended up being a miniseries because it didn't really get picked up, but it was a, a modern reinterpretation of King Saul and the fight against the Philistines in a modern context. Mm. It was very fascinating, except when it came to this, they decided to go in that direction. I was so disappointed. Uh, and the show, yeah. of course, didn't pick up. I don't even remember what it was, but people might out there know about it. You can write me and let me know if you've seen it, too. But um, what I see here, even more than maybe the, I guess, the awkwardness of modern man to not express his feelings uh, in terms of friendship towards other men as love. I think that's kind of a modern thing. Um, But Mm -hmm. I also see here something maybe more significant, and you can correct me or correct me. But in verse four, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was put on him now Jonathan is the prince of of the Hebrews and he gives it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt um I kind of see this as 
this recognition that David indeed is the 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 now uh, king in waiting. I suppose uh, you know he's he's demonstrating that he understands where David is in terms of uh, what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's great, and I'll, I'll be with you on that. I think that's one of the biggest insights I had that came to me in in my study and preparation for today is that that this. It almost seems like an awareness of Jonathan, and I think it starts even in verse 3 where um, Jonathan makes a covenant. Almost, um, You can mm-hmm. almost read that as, um, I'm going to support you, and and there's even, I even came across some discussion that the word for love is, is sometimes used as a political alliance word, and so, so Jonathan um, loving David might also be perceived as, "Hey, I am I am in support of your future reign." And um, but yeah, that that robe of royalty, uh, that that lineage, it's almost as if Jonathan is saying, "This man is better suited," or or I see the Lord's hand with this one that that that's going to succeed my father here. Exactly, and and this is going to set up a contrast between the way David understands not only I'm sorry Jonathan not only understands David's position, but also their relationship. He's going to support him, and of course how Saul is going to react. Saul, the current king, is is understandably I suppose not very supportive of uh, David's um, I guess uh what would we what would we say his uh anointing to be the future king or to be the king. And that's another thing we discussed too, is once he is, as David, is anointed by Samuel to be the king, um, and I think people have gone back and forth, does that mean that he is the king now and 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 uh, Saul is sort of the, the, the king inappropriately remaining on the throne? Or is that just when Saul is gone, David is the next king. I, I think you can see see it both ways, but what's your point of view? Do you have one? Yeah, I, I, don't, know if, I don't think I have one, but it, it says you're asking. I, I wonder if in God's eyes, David is the king. Um, but then you, you got to wonder why God wouldn't have said something to Saul, and maybe he did. It's just not recorded in Scripture, but but it seems like, especially in this chapter, you start to see, I think it's like four different times that the, the Jonathan loves David, then the people love David, the nation loves David, and then uh, Saul's daughter loves David. So the love of David it permeates this chapter. And so it's almost as if that which the Lord has anointed comes into that anointing through through the acceptance of the people. And so, yeah, I think on the divine level, perhaps you could say he, he is the king at this point, and he certainly does king things by defeating Goliath, by leading the mighty men of war. Um, but but on the human level, he, he's not king yet. He hasn't been coronated or whatever you want to call it. Well, and he still has some growing to do, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we also have that where as soon as he is anointed king, the Lord, uh, you know, is with him, and then the Lord sends what we might call an evil spirit or a negative spirit, um, which is how David and the king got together in the first place, because David would come and right. soothe yeah. that spirit. It's an interesting relationship. But then in verse 5, you know, David's successful everywhere he goes. Uh, Saul, I mean, he makes some good decisions. He sees David's success, and it says he sets him over the men of war. I didn't quite know how to interpret that if that was he's now commander over all the armies or if he's given his own regiment or or how what exactly that meant 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good um, ignorance. I'll play ignorant with you that uh, we don't quite know exactly what that looks like and um, maybe foreshadowing where we're going with the rest of the chapter here, but you, you, you might wonder whether Saul had some negative desires in putting David into this position. Oh, well, he did well against Goliath. That was unexpected. Let's see if that luck will wear off and we can have him put back where in his place so I'm not threatened by him. Um, so, oh, that's true. so, yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh, uh, as, as it, outwardly, it looks like a sign of uh, trust and respect and, um, you know, kind of accepting this This guy's got something to, to follow. But there could be an ulterior motive. I can't help but think about David's own foibles when he sends Uriah to the battlefield to get rid of him. So yeah, maybe there's a yeah. reason. I don't know. Well, anything else in these first five verses before we read the next section? Yeah, I, I think the only other thing that we really didn't touch on that I, I noted was that— um, um, that this is the first time and, and four times it's mentioned about David's success. And so, so not only uh, the love of the people for David, which shows up in this chapter, of course, we get the uh, jealousy of, of Saul that we're going to get into in the next verses, but, but this success of David is, um, will, will permeate through the whole chapter. Excellent. And uh, speaking of his successes, that does flow into what happens next. I'm going to read verses no, six through nine. Here we go. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Well, uh, interesting. <laughs> you know, it, it, the, in the context it says they're coming out to meet King Saul. Um, they're mm -hmm. singing, you know, pretty normal Hebraisms here, some parallels, right? Saul struck down his thousands, David is ten thousand. Um well, what's going on here? You know, this this poetic parallelism uh has lifted up David higher than Saul wants him to be. Boy, it just makes him angry. Yeah, and that's it's actually um I think um I, another thing that struck me in my my research this this go around with this text is that um we when we read this I think we have the same reaction as Saul that oh man they're really saying David's greater than Saul but but um I I really liked the commentaries that that pointed out you know with the Hebrew parallelisms that that there's there's just in this poetry this isn't uh this isn't a greater than statement even though mathematically it seems that way um, it's it's almost as if you're saying Saul's uh, done a lot of good stuff in the military, and David's also done a lot of good stuff in the military too. And and you, um, the the commentaries I, I found on this said that it's it's not so much about the numbers; it's just you know the the two of them being together in the same sentence. This is just all of this is rejoicable because they've had so much success. Um, but we we typically think about it the way that Saul does, and and I think um, kind of to conclude what I was. Um, taking in with the, these uh, people who are smarter than myself have, have written about it is that it's almost like 
Saul looks for um, the negative, or he, he reads it the wrong way. He doesn't put the best construction on what the women are doing. I, I don't think the women were, were setting out to say, hey, let's let's throw a barb at, at our king right now. Let's let's put David in his place, um, or, or put David in Saul's place. Don't, I don't think that's what's happening, but that's the way Saul took it. And I, I think, you know, just to make an application to our life, it's a good reminder to, to not read the worst in a situation and, and maybe not jump to conclusions um, based on what might be echoing in our own minds. Right. And and the poes, poeticism of it, I think, also necessitates some uh, reality checking. For instance, David had not struck down 10,000s. Um, right, yeah. And, and Saul probably—oh, no, Saul personally hadn't struck down thousands. Um, the, typically in antiquity, the kings are given credit for the armies and what they've done. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's a dig at the king. Um, it's sort of like we can celebrate this guy without taking anything away from you. It's a sign of immaturity when you feel like you have to tear others down to make yourself feel better. And I don't think the women mm-hmm. were doing that. I think it's just just how it goes. And uh, But you're right. He does not put the best construction. And, and it's funny how the author has included his grumbling. They've ascribed David ten thousands to me. They have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? Uh, it's just like wow, you know. King Saul has always been a reluctant leader, uh, one who is now we're seeing to be increasingly paranoid, but also just kind of petty too. I mean, it's such a shame. Yeah, no, and I, I, I like that paranoia, the the pettiness and the paranoia that that he has. It, it is kind of there. It's it's almost like I I, I wonder if um, they would have reversed the numbers or even the order because they they um, one of the things I read is that David was placed last and the, they saved the best for last in Hebrew parallelisms. Um, but I, I wonder if they would have reversed the numbers and the order of it if that would have even. Uh, grinded Saul's gears because he could have said, oh, I can't believe they're singing about me and David. They should just be singing about right. me. And see, I think so too. I think no matter what they would have said, the fact that they included David, they're they're basically proclaiming him to be a king. And yeah. that yeah. is ultimately what Saul is upset about because Saul can't appreciate or understand or accept the fact that Yahweh has anointed David as king. You know, through Samuel, Saul has been told that God has rejected him. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, well, here's David, he's the next king, I'm going to heed God's will, I'm going to train this guy up the best I can to be the king that God wants him to be, I've already failed and repented of that, he doesn't repent of that, he instead tries to kill David. And, and I also can't help but think of Matthew chapter 21, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right, and the whole city is stirred mm. up saying, you know, who's this guy? And the people are praising Jesus as the king who's come in, and of course, who's upset about it? Well, all the kings and the governors and anybody else that has any sort of authority gets all bent been out of shape about it. Yeah, no, and yeah, and I, I hadn't thought about Palm Sunday in, in relation to this, but yeah, and, and what do they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. So yeah, David's right. connected there. That's a good connection. Well, let's read a few more verses as we uh, get ready for the break here in just a few minutes, starting with verse 10 through 15. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. 
and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because Yahweh was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for Yahweh was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before him. Um, just a couple of things. First off, my question was answered right here. It says he made him a commander of a thousand. So <laughs> I should have just kept reading when I questioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How many yeah, I, I read something over. that that was uh, that was almost a promotion. That might have been a promotion that came later. So in uh, in verse uh, five, when he first set him up, and then later on. But but yeah, either that's way, it, it does give us more indication. You're right. That's possible because the top part, which we read, was more of a generic overview of where they kind of ended up. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Well, the question is: Is this a promotion? And I, I think it is too. He he was just sort of the liar player that helped. Whenever God sent a harmful, the Hebrew says evil, spirit upon Saul. So David's actually in there trying to ease Saul's, um, I don't know what we call it, his affliction. Um, and it's that, that is, that's the time when Saul takes the opportunity to try to kill the guy who's trying to help him. Um, you know, that'll preach, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 is an interesting thing, I, and and I think I, you you probably talked about it when you covered chapter sixteen. I, I don't think I listened to that that whole episode, but the um this this idea of a harmful spirit coming from God is is kind of troubling, and um and I I wonder as we're as we're talking this this idea just came to me. I, I wonder if we might call this a depression. You know, he's he's got this this just gloomy gloomy outlook on life because of of his situation and seeing others doing better than him and doubting himself and, and that, that evil spirit from God. I, I wonder if we might call that a form of depression. I would say so. I mean, I think when it says a harmful spirit, you know, the, the English writers are trying to distance the word evil from God, the fact that God has sent it upon him. And, and one yeah. thing we did talk about when we first encountered this was the idea of theodicy, right? We don't let God off the hook. He is all in control. And while certainly he's not the source of evil, he does allow evil to happen in this world. He allows bad things to happen. And yeah, if if we can if we can say this is a melancholy or a depression or whatever it, that is afflicting Saul, yeah, God is allowing that to happen. And, and we don't let God off the hook. With that said, though, you know, David is there to help, and and here he is being killed by the one he came to help. That's the whole reason they're in that relationship. Of course, we think of Christ who was killed by those he came to save. But then David evades him twice, so we know he tried to kill him at least twice. Um, and we're told flat out what the problem was. Saul was afraid of David because Yahweh was with him but had departed from Saul, right? So he knew that God had rejected him and chose David, and that was the source of his fear. The, yeah, the, 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 the fear and anger, even today, even with us, like just psychologically, are so closely connected. You know, most of the people out there who are just angry 
at the world, at certain peoples, at, at whatever they've decided to be angry about, usually deep in the kernel of that anger is the fact that they're really afraid of something. And we see that here too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just one more thing to add before we probably take our break here is that I, I think it's really cool that David keeps working. He keeps playing his music even after Saul tries to kill him once. <laughs> he evaded him right. twice. I, I just picture that David's like, well, I'll just keep playing the music and uh, hope maybe that'll calm him down. But, but I, I thought that was a, an interesting note. Well, maybe he changed tunes, right? He's like, hey, if you didn't like that one, all right, you know, <laughs> I yeah, can take right. criticism. <laughs> You know, or I maybe that was a mistake, this one. He, and he, he didn't mean to throw it the first time. but <laughs> Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we will take that break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Climola and I will keep on going through 1 Samuel 18. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Ryan Climola, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Toledo, Ohio. Folks, thanks for joining us this morning. I hope that you're being blessed through our study. Remember, Thy Strong Word can be heard in St. Louis on AM 850, or you can listen live or on demand at kfuo.org. You can also subscribe to the show as a podcast, and don't forget about KFUO's own mobile app. And as always, I'm available to answer any questions you have or just hear your feedback. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. Just drop by and say hello. Thanks for being loyal listeners. Now back to our program. We are in, let's see here, Pastor. We are in chapter 18. I lost my verse place, but we'll find it again. Oh, here we go. We were talking about 10 through 14, where you know David evades Saul's spear twice. Uh, David is having all this success, and he's afraid. Uh, I'm sorry, he's uh, Saul is afraid of him, but everybody else just loves him. Anything else about this text before we move into someone else who loves David? Yeah, I think the the last line of verse 14 is really notable for us because, like I mentioned at the beginning, we get uh, the, the success of David's mentioned four times in this chapter, and right in the midst, of, we've had two mentions of that success, and now in the midst of that success, we have uh, the reason for that success, the Lord was with him. And, and I think that's incredibly um, huge to, that the, the Lord grants success, being with the Lord, the presence of the Lord, that that, that is where our ultimate success 
comes from. It may not show itself like David's earthly successes have been um, and will be demonstrated um, for, for a while here, but but we know that that success we we need is when we're with the Lord. And I think it also shows the irrationality of Saul's attempts to kill him. I mean, knowing that the God of creation is with him, it just seems futile then to try to murder him on every occasion that he tries to do that. Uh, yeah. I just think it's, it just shows us the irrationality of sin in general. Well, yeah. moving on then to our next section. This is, I'm just going to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Um, we're going to find out somebody else who, you know, has a fondness for David. Here we go. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight Yahweh's battles. Because Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Mehetholite for a wife. Uh, just pausing there for a moment. Uh, what stands out to me, of course, is Saul is looking to give his daughter to David in marriage, and he does that after he tries to kill him twice, help us understand this pastor. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. I um, well, before, well, kind of in with this. Uh, it's it's interesting that um, that David is given um, a price for this this uh, bride, which was common in that era. You know, if you uh, if you take a woman to be your wife, then you you pay a dowry or you pay or you you you, you give a bride price. It was not an uncommon practice, um, but but. With um, the the last chapter, when David faces Goliath, one of the quote unquote spoils of war, one of the rewards that Saul had offered for whoever could defeat Goliath was, um, I think there were three things: riches, uh, maybe it was riches, fame, and, and uh, my daughter in marriage. And, and so, so now Saul's almost reneging on his word. He's going back and saying, "Here's here's what you have to do in order to have my daughter." I, um, so it seems like it may be a little bit of revealing, further revealing the character of Saul here. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it almost seems like a very duplicitous um, arrangement that he's setting up here because he says, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to get killed. It's pretty much what it says in verse 17. Right. I'm not going to kill him. Um, so maybe the Philistines will wipe him out for me. Yeah, it seems like he's luring him into this more dangerous military position by offering his daughter in marriage. Um, but then David protests, and he protests in an interesting way by saying, basically, well, who am I? I I'm not worthy to be a son-in-law to the king. Um, but this that's always makes me question, well, David, don't you know that you are the king, or you're going to be the king, however you look up, look at it. I, I guess just David's being diplomatic here, I suppose, is one way to look at that. Yeah, I, I had written uh, humble etiquette. I think, uh, yeah, dip, diplomacy, it, it seems like it's just the, the right thing to say in such a situation. 
so even if he even if he were worthy, it would be like almost protocol. You know, it's like, OK, I'm supposed to <laughs> So down south. If you're given something, you're supposed to refuse the first couple of times. It's only polite. And so maybe this yeah, is a right. a uh, a royal etiquette kind of way of doing that. Like, oh, no, I, I'm not worthy of this of this gift or this marriage in this case. Well, yeah. we'll keep on. We'll keep on reading. I will pick up with 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And, and then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. And before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. And when Saul saw that and knew that Yahweh was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul was even more afraid of David, uh, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Now we're going to end right there. We, we only have one more verse actually left in the chapter, but there's plenty to cover in the verses we've, we've talked about so far. So uh, he says, you know, well, maybe Michael, Michael who loves David, maybe she will be a snare for him. Um, how do you figure yeah. that she would be a snare, or how did Saul figure that? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We he, we hear about uh, it's interesting on two levels. Michael's love for David. It's it's interesting because we never know how David feels about her. <laughs> so that's that's notable. But the other notable thing I, I came across is that this is the only time in the Old Testament where a woman loves a man, and it's recorded. So not not that we want to draw any conclusions about that, but. But yeah, I thought that was pretty unique, almost a hapax legomena, um, you know, one occurrence in script, Old Testament scripture, yeah. at least, where a woman loves a man. But but yeah, we don't know David's uh, opinion of her, but we have to gather the fact that Saul, from the fact that Saul thought he, she would be a good snare for him, that David must have had some uh, attraction or affection or desire to, to be with Michael, otherwise it, she wouldn't have been a good snare. So um, so yeah, it's it's, you know, a further example of what, um, uh, what Saul did for uh, was setting up for for David with uh, Merab, and um, and and kind of that one didn't go according to Saul's plan. And and I kind of wonder if if uh, Ed, Adriel the Meholahite sorry, my my words are getting chewed oh, up now. That one's so um, hard. You, you got to wonder if he was in the waiting in the wings, and, and Saul's like, hey, I'm just going to use. Uh, Merab for this ploy, and, and David's going to be off the map. And then David comes back from battle, and Saul's like, you know what? I'm sorry, David. Um, Adriel's got got my daughter now. Um, but but then yeah, Micah's on the scene. Michael's on the scene, and and um, Saul wants to 
try again with a, another ploy here to get David without his own hand. But then David also says some things that, again, I suppose are just etiquette, but not really, because in this case, it's in private. You know, the, he mm -hmm. told that as Saul tells uh, the servants to go to pri David in private, sorry, and say, behold, the king has delight in you, which I think mm -hmm. is laughable considering it hasn't been 10 sentences since since we heard about him trying to kill him twice. Uh, and you expect David to say, what do you mean he has delighted me? I know exactly how he feels about me, but he doesn't. David just yeah. says, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? I think David definitely sees through the plan. He knows that being the king's son-in-law isn't just getting to marry the king's daughter, but really you're now in the service of the king. There's this there's this arrangement. This is how he's going to get this higher military position. And so then he adds, I'm a poor man and have no reputation. But brother, honestly, I don't understand that either because by killing Goliath, it seems like he would have re reaped some rewards from that. If nothing else, uh, uh, he has a great reputation for killing tens of thousands. So I don't understand why David said that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I got a couple thoughts on that. I But real quick before I get to those, I, I think um, sure. the more we talk about this, the more I think Saul is a great uh, eighth commandment uh, consideration. You know, he's... He's not. Um, he's not being honest here. He's. He's. Um, it, it, the there's a slight translation issue with uh, where it says speak to David private or speak to David in private, and, and that word behind there actually might mean more discreetly um, than than private. So it's not necessarily a secret, but hide this intention that I have, hiding the the act behind my words. Oh. But I think you're right that that David kind of sees through this. And, and so I wonder, in response to what you were asking, I, I wonder if David is kind of just trying to undercut that and say, look, if he wants me to be his son-in-law, um, maybe he should come to me. Is, this isn't a small thing. The servants shouldn't be asking me. Um, but then I also think he might be throwing some some fuel on the fire um, by, by saying, I'm a poor man, because remember, the, the promises, whoever defeats Goliath is going to be rich, he's going to be famous, and he's going to have my, my, my daughter as a bride. But, but David's saying, I'm still a poor man, so where's, where's the other promises? Um, and then, yeah, that I have no reputation. It's, you, you can take that either as he's being humble and trying to let Saul hear that I'm not a threat to you, or, or maybe he's he's saying it ironically. Like, hey, who do, who do people think I am? With the implied answer of, well, yeah, everybody likes you. Yeah, that's true. It's like, oh, I don't have a good reputation. I, I don't know if it's false humility, but I mean, yeah, I, it it is just strange, but it, it makes sense and it does please him, you know, because when Saul, um, uh, when when Saul said that the bride price is nothing except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, right. yeah. David was in for that. And it's yeah. like, is David in because, okay, that I can do, and now I'll get this, you know, beautiful daughter of the king as my bride? Or is David just like, oh yeah, I'm always up for killing some Philistines. I mean, I don't know which which part pleased him, the arrangement, the bride, or the price. I, I'm not entirely sure. But um, this getting the the foreskins of the of their enemies, though, I read that this is a common practice of the Egyptian army, and that's basically 
how they had a body count of their fallen enemies. Mm. And we see actually we actually see this pictured in um in, in paintings and and other uh, Egyptian types of uh, reliefs. We've seen we actually have evidence that this is something they did. Um, so I suppose that practice has spread into the Israelites. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, it kind of reminds me of you know we we hear uh, historically of, of the scalping that that um, that took place. It's just kind of uh, almost like trophies of war. And and this was the other part of the the chapter where I thought we might want to put a disclaimer on it. But, <laughs> but yeah, it, one one note I came across made me chuckle, and and that was perhaps obvious, but it was they they weren't. Um, they weren't uh, circumcising the Philistines, as in um, doing the covenant promise, but these were um, the the uh, foreskins from their their dead bodies. So that kind of made right. me chuckle because I never really thought that, but apparently it's yeah. Maybe worth this noting. wasn't um, how can we say it? It wasn't careful and surgical. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it wasn't was very much evangel- evangelical, you know, um, outreach style circumcision where people come into the, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then he, but then of course we have to point out now in the Septuagint, it actually says that David went off and got a hundred foreskins just as the king desired. However, in the Hebrew text, as we have here translated in the English, it says 200. Um, I don't think it actually matters, but if we accept the Hebrew text as being correct, that is that Saul asked for a hundred and David got 200. It sure demonstrates his zealousness for doing that, which, well, remember, um, God had ordained King Saul to defeat the Philistines. And so David is doing what King Saul has failed to do, or, and, or of course, at least maybe he's doing it in the name of King Saul at this point. But David is out there basically making it happen, and he comes back with twice as much as what the king requested. Yeah, I, that's that's interesting. I didn't know there was a discrepancy in the uh, text, but just looking at the notes, it's the the, the supposition is that it's an adaptation um, in the uh, um, in the Septuagint to match what was set out as the price by Saul. So, uh, which might lend you to say, well, the the harder reading or the less likely reading might be the act. Anyways, the, um, yeah, it's, it's almost, I, I like the 200 idea because it's almost like he's coming back and he's saying, look, we've tried this before with your first daughter. Um, what I did when you, when I did what you told me to do, it wasn't good enough. Now I'm going to really do it. So people are going to see, Saul, you're the one that's going back on your word. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, David comes back and, and, and he has done, fulfilled his role and, and that makes sense too. That you know now there you can't say that I'm one short. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. There's twice as many as you asked for here. It's, it's like well, when you're the, you're in trouble with your parents and they tell you to clean your room and you you feel really bad and so you do a really good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually ever recall doing that. I have to be honest. <laughs> my dad listens to the show, so yeah, I can't. I can't as I, fib. As I said, I don't know if my kids have ever done that either. <laughs> But, um, well, our, our chapter ends with this verse, Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Um, and, and the chapter that follows, uh, we should note that the chapter verses and the chapter divisions are not inspired, because the very next verse, I'll go ahead and read it, says, 
And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But of course, we know that Jonathan delights much in David. Um, but mm -hmm. instead of getting into chapter 19, which we'll do tomorrow, I think it's worth pointing out here that um, this chapter, or at least what we're talking about today, ends that David is the one that's being renowned. His name is highly esteemed more than Saul. All the servants of Saul couldn't do what David's doing, and we know why. It's because, and we've been told several times, that Yahweh was with him. Remember, David is the is the short, red-headed kid. He's not... He's not the mighty one. It's God showing his might through him. And sometimes I think we forget that because David becomes this larger-than-life figure. We should never forget that he's been handpicked by God for God to show his own might. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, um, the, that, the last words that, that David's name was highly esteemed, it's actually the same word at the end of verse 23 where where David is speaking about himself, and he says, and I, I have no reputation, or, or you could translate it, I am lightly esteemed. So it's, it's a contrast there. David's saying, I'm, I'm lightly esteemed, and here at the end, no, it's, you're highly esteemed, so the truth is out there. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, anything else about all of our texts, you know? I mean, we want to make sure that people walk away understanding not only the history about what was happening then, but how it points to Christ. What else do we want the people to know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's such beauty in this chapter that, that really isn't evident. It's a great historical read. It's a great um, um, seeing where, where David's struggles come in. Um, but but I think the idea of, of brotherly love that we have at the beginning of the chapter between David and Jonathan is is a great thing, but it's also so um, helpfully contrasted against what it's like to have um, the, the the root of jealousy take root in, in Saul. And, and so you see what, what um, negative things happen when you don't look in love towards uh, the brothers or, or towards the people God puts in your life. And um, Saul's a great... Um, uh, warning against, you know, being um, overly confident in your position or, or, you know, fearful of others. And especially when the, when the Lord is uh, ma making clear his, his work is being done. But uh, th this brotherly love, this friendship, it, it, you know, can't help but re remember our, our greatest friend, our brother Jesus, that um, he, like Jonathan, gives us his robe of righteousness. He, he makes us to be priests and kings. That's that's what um, uh, being buried with him through baptism into his death is is all about is is getting all his goodness put upon us and, and Jonathan's Jonathan actually becomes a great precursor or or type of Christ in that um, but also you know David uh, continues to defeat God's enemies as um, Jesus his his uh, descendants would would defeat our greatest enemy and he fights for us just as David fought on behalf of the people. Um, another another note to connect it to our our life is is God the God is the one who determines rulers and and God's people are are to love and support the ones that God gives um, to lead them and so we see that in David as he's uh, loved by the people and so when we have pastors or or other authorities other people in our life that God has given to lead us we're we're to love them and then one one last note just to cram it all in here real quick is um, the parallels between. Uh, King Saul and, and King Herod. Uh, King Herod, of course, tried to kill Jesus as an infant. King Saul here is trying to kill David. Um, but 
but as God was with David, so God is with Jesus, and, and Jesus is God, and, and he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So we, we get to know that, that whatever comes against us, God is giving us the success we need for eternity with him. Amen to that. I, I want to illustrate one thing you said, the next to last thing, and that is that what's always, I guess before when I read these texts, stood out as a little strange to me, is that David continues to submit to King Saul. Despite his anointing, despite him knowing what God's plan is for him, he continues to submit to King Saul um, and even keeps his promise. We're not, we were not there yet, but at some point Saul's going to ask him to promise not to uh, kill out his line, and he, and he, does, he keeps that promise. And so, so mm -hmm. David's, David respects um, the Lord's king even when the king doesn't do anything to deserve that respect. Maybe why he kept playing even after he got a, a dart thrown at him. And, yeah, and yeah, so I, I think that's a message for us, too, is that when we remember that ultimately it's God in control, that I think we can suffer the sins of, of even um, sinful leaders because they're all going to be. Um, it doesn't mean we have to submit to persecution, but I'm just saying there we have to understand that ultimately God is in control. And that's something I believe that David consistently demonstrates throughout the whole narrative that we learn about him. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is a great example to, to further note that, that that role of the authority. And even when it's hard, as, as best you can and, and when appropriate, you, you continue to do what God has given you to do in your role. And, um, yeah, kind of going back to that question earlier, was David actually king at this point? Well, I, I think the fact that he's, he's submitting to King Saul is he didn't see himself as king. He's, he's living in his, his vocation as a citizen, as a servant of the king, as a commander in the military for the king, but um, uh, waiting, trusting in the Lord's promises. Yep. I think we called it a, a now but not yet sort of situation, right? He, he knows that he's going to be king, but not yet. And that's certainly something yeah. we, can, we can live by too, because Christ is victorious over sin, death, and Satan, but we don't get the benefits just yet of those things, not until Christ returns, at least not the full and complete benefits. I guess I should be clear. Well, sure. I appreciate you being on the show today. I, I haven't talked to you since Exodus is the last time we, you were on, but I look forward to having you on in the future. Folks, this was my guest, the Reverend Ryan Clamola, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Toledo, Ohio. Thank you, brother, for being on the show. Thanks for having me back. Well, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, folks, um, you know, tomorrow we're going to be gathering around God's Word again, and as I already alluded to, you know, Saul is going to now instruct his servants and his son Jonathan to kill David. And, uh, well, that's not going to happen, but he's certainly going to try, and that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about in chapter 19, so don't miss it. Uh, until then, folks— I pray that God's peace and blessings be with you all as we all pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.